the following program contains graphic material, including offensive language. Your discretion is advised. Rock, rock, rock and Well, it's another Friday, and Marcy Wheeler's here, and as usual, there's a lot to talk about. So I guess we start with the Trump spawn, because this week we saw his two um, eldest sons, Don Jr. and Eric, testify under oath. But did they did they say anything? I mean, it appears it's not televised, but we're getting lots of reports of what went on in the courtroom. And it seems like they both lied, saying, you know, emulating Sergeant Schultz. I know nothing, nothing. Yeah, um, they did both do that including about really basic things like um, Eric Trump, who has been part of his father's real estate empire from very young, um, claimed that he didn't know about a certain kind of financial disclosure until he was 29. I'm like, you're right, <laughs> right? You right. know, um, and Don, Don Jr. I think got caught in fewer lies because I think that Eric was a more important role in running the company during uh, during the time Trump was in the White House. And also, Eric, um, there's a report out from Daily Beast today, um, Jose Pagliera, who does really good work on this. He's been covering the trial as well. And he said that at, at one point, there was a discussion of prosecuting the Trump organization under, under I don't want to say RICO, but under RICO, basically. And um, as, a, as a criminal organization, I won't say RICO, I didn't just say Rico. Okay. But um and and part of that was this um purchase or this use of an estate in northern Westchester uh that they were doing donations off of and excuse me. That was a project that was very close to Eric's heart and so they were slamming him on that because they basically were giving money, giving stuff away to be able to get the tax donation for it, but they kept backing out of the appraisal for the giveaway. Um, so that was one thing where they caught Eric. The, the other things where they caught Eric were his, his, I mean, again, just his involvement in a variety of business deals where he was more centrally involved in stating the financial worth of something. And remember, like, I uh, I think both of the boys pled the fifth during their depositions. Mm-hmm. I think Eric did so more. He did 500 times. And so he wasn't in a position to do that this time around. And one critical thing that they did was um, they got him in a, in a failure to recall from 2021 when Trump org already knew that they were under investigation and still said, Oh, I don't remember that. And they were like, Really? After the investigation, you don't remember these these conversations that went to the core of what the investigation was into. And then just before he left the stand, because there was no cross-examination of him, Mm -hmm. um, the attorney general's uh, prosecutors said, 
uh, you were the one who entered into the um, severance agreement with Alan Weisselberg. Right. You were the one who got basically the non non disclosure right it's not non you can't say anything bad no non-disparagement clause right yeah that's exactly it non-disparagement and um and so the last thing that happened while eric was on the stand was him saying yeah that that deal is all me that's i take responsibility for that and then meanwhile this is going on in chris kice right in each of trump's trials he has these showboat lawyers and chris kice is the one in florida and uh and this the new york fraud case um he keeps attacking the judge's clerk, the same clerk that Trump is gagged from. And the expert judgment, right? So um, from people, from lawyers who are there, and the expert judgment is that the reason Kais is doing this, the reason Kais is basically staging a tantrum about this clerk is to distract from how badly Eric is doing so that the press will talk about Chris Kais's tantrums rather than instead Eric of Eric's Trump's testimony. Failures. Now this was right. this morning, so people, everybody should know by now. We tape on Friday mornings because Marcy is in Ireland and I'm now uh, in the in the Pacific time zone until next week. In which case, I'll be in the Arizona time zone. It's also confusing, but so we're taping in the morning. But this second day of Eric Trump's testimony, he returned to the stand this morning, and it was like that. Uh, Chris Keiss made a spectacle. Eric sort of testified and said he didn't remember things. And then they, there was no, as you said, no cross-examination. And then it ended for the day, yeah? Yeah. Um, and that was meant, they only they only sit for half a day on, on Friday. So that was expected. That's why Ivanka didn't start testifying. She appealed her subpoena and said, "I, you know, it's really an imposition to, like, get daycare for the children. Right. And and that was denied. So we should expect both Trump and Ivanka to testify next week. I think Trump. I think Trump is Monday and Ivanka is Wednesday. Right yes, now. that's the schedule. Yeah, we, we need to talk about Ivanka for a moment. She is not a defendant in this case. She's removed from it, though. Um, they the prosecution called her as a witness because she was involved in a Trump uh, D.C. Washington D.C. hotel. And um, again, what's it? What's at question in this case, it's a fraud case. It's a civil case, so nobody's going to go to jail over it. But Trump, well, unless they get charged for lying under oath. Right? Uh, well, there you go. I mean, Alan Weisselberg may go to jail because he allegedly lied under oath already in his testimony. Oh my goodness! Um, so, so Ivanka has to testify. She tried everything to get out, and her her <laughs> reasoning that you know it's a school day and she's got kids. Um, was universally laughed at, basically, right? I mean, how absurd. She's got, what, $300 million she can afford a babysitter for the day. Yeah, and the other thing that people forget about Ivanka is she really, with the exception of the January 6th committee, she has avoided testifying. So, for example, um, Don Jr. at least testified to Congress in the Russian investigation. Mm. He did not testify to a grand jury, the presumption is, he said, I'll invoke the fifth if you make me go before a grand jury because you've got the records, so you'll catch me in a lie. Um, Eric and Don both did these depositions. Uh, Ivanka, Jared, Jared has testified to, Jared testified multiple times to Mueller. 
and testified to Jack Smith's grand jury on January 6th. But Ivanka, at least according to a Maggie Haberman article from maybe the spring, hadn't, did not. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of crazy because she was, she was personally deeply involved in matters that are in the indictment. And, and I commented on her not being mentioned in there. Like there's a description of Trump sitting there going crazy in the dining room as his mob attacks Congress. And everyone keeps coming in saying, you know, call them off, call them off, call them off, call them off. And if you look at the indictment closely, uh, Mark Meadows is named, Pat Cipollone is named, Pat Philbin, who was, uh, Pat Cipollone, so White House counsel, deputy White House counsel. Um, Eric Hirschman is named. There's one more person named, I forget, but Ivanka is not named. Like no one senior presidential assistant not named. And it's not yet clear how she avoided testimony if that Maggie Haberman report remains true. But what's interesting is in recent filings in the D.C. case, Jack Smith mentioned that there were 20, 25 people who invoked attorney-client privilege and didn't wow. testify. And he said one of them is a family member. And it was like, hmm, you know. Okay, right. Uh, so, yeah, so I do wonder whether it's Ivanka because uh, there's there's no one else whose testimony would be so central who and she, you know, Eric Hirschman was always involved in her role uh, interacting with her daddy. But uh, so in any case, point being, when she testified at the January 6th committee um, and people will remember there are videos of her sitting kind of in this like none of those videos were meant to be very flattering, but right. she's. It's kind of they they take it from above, so it's like this, you know. So yeah. she, she's like this, like, right? Um, yeah. She looks small. She looks, um, and she uh, when the January sixth committee made referrals, they basically referred Ivanka for false statements because her executive assistant knew remembered more about the derogatory things her father said than Ivanka even though Ivanka is the one who told the executive assistant. So there's a lot that Ivanka claimed to not know. There's a lot, you know, I, you know, I think that the fact of the matter is that Ivanka is probably as bad at testifying under oath as her daddy and her brother, Eric. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so she just has managed to avoid it. And so I think we'll see how it goes, but I suspect that, um, you know, Wednesday could be challenging because, she was very centrally involved in negotiating the, the lease on the old post office. Right. Building. The Trump in, international in hotel in DC. Yeah. Right. And their estimates on that was, were completely garbage. So um, that's what she's going to be asked about. Now, huh. Trump is, is going to be testifying on Monday. Um, uh, and, and this goes, so, so there are limited gag orders on him is the judge in this case whose name escapes me at the moment um he what we know is his clerk is sitting right next to him and you mentioned chris keis the attorney who started attacking well continued attacking her after trump did but he was warned do not say anything about my staff he could say anything he wants about the judge about the case about you know, his political opponents, but not the judge's staff. So Chris Keis now doing it, is he not covered by this gag order too? No, not yet anyway. He might be before we get too far further. Um, <laughs> we'll see. Um, you know, they had these fights and Chris Keis claims that he's having this tantrum just to make an appellate a record 
for to appeal the case and say that this uh, allegedly, de- I mean, I'm sure, you know, it's New York. It, the, the notion that no Democrat can be involved right. in a criminal, you know, in a, pro- in a prosecution of somebody is is ridiculous. But that's but but it's a testament to how few Democrats actually are involved in these cases. I mean, it, you know, if and when Trump goes to trial on the January 6th stuff, you know, I can think of one obvious Democrat that will definitely testify, and that's Ruby Freeman. Ruby Freeman and her oh, daughter, well, without a doubt, Democrats, right? But but the other people are going to be people like Pat Cipollone, Bill Barr, Mark Meadows. Um, uh, one that I think people always forget it's going going to be Jason Miller, who is running Trump's campaign, and so he's going to sit on the stand and either lie, either deviate from what he has said under oath before, or he's going to get up there and say, "Oh yeah, Trump didn't win." Right. Right. Um, and, and those are the, that's the testimony that I think is going to, that kind of testimony is going to be particularly devastating. This is the same thing that happened in the January 6th, the committee investigation. It's like all of the people, again, with the exception of Ruby Freeman, all of the people that testified were Republicans. Right. And, um, and so, you know, now they found this one woman who's this clerk and they've like, well, you know, there's a Democrat involved. <laughs> And it's like one Democrat out of 500. Again, the the stolen documents case, all the people who would testify are either career civil servants involved in the intelligence community or they're Trump people. Right. <clears throat> right. The, the, the whole thing. Um, and again, this this case, though, um, the, the Trump attorneys neglected to file to have it be a jury trial and they missed the deadline. And so the judge will decide the case. I actually already decided the case. This is all about damages, isn't it? Yes. Disgorgement of profits. So um, there was a expert testimony this week. um, And that guy basically said, here's what Trump would have had to pay to the banks for loans. Had he not lied. So that's, that's a key number that they're going to bring to say this is this is how much how much financial advantage Trump got from lying on business records and and again he he faked the value of his properties um inf- uh, inflated it when uh it, it was to his benefit and and underestimated it when it was to his benefit uh he would pull numbers allegedly out of thin air and and go with those and that's what we've heard throughout this judge can also um, say you can no longer do business in New York and make them uh, get rid of everything or, or or somehow divest and all? Yeah, um, and and one of the reasons why Ivanka is being forced to testify is she's still doing business in New York under some guise. I mean, she's no longer living in New York. She's living in Florida like everyone else, but um, she is still doing business in New York. And so you would think that, um, depending on what she says, she may get in trouble too. But the rate, even the original order, the judge said, okay, time to dissolve the businesses, including Trump Tower, yes. including like the flagship Trump Tower. And, um, and so this is something that is like it's on hold for the trial, but that is one of the things that's going to happen. I got to jump, go, go back to Eric Trump's testimony because okay. it's really important. Please. One of the things that Trump, all, all the Trump men have done from the release of Angoran's order of the mm-hmm. ruling the judge's against order, them. Right? This, yep. Um, is they've taken, they've misrepresented what Angoran said about the value of Mar-a-Lago. Um, he didn't, the judge didn't say this is how much Mar-a-Lago is worth, but he did say 
this is what the assessment is, the Palm Beach assessment. This is what you claim to the banks it is. And this is what, this is proof that you ignored that um, it's a social club. Mm -hmm. So if you look, if you look at Twitter, if you look at True Social, these men keep going, keep claiming that Ngoron said that Mar-a-Lago is only worth 18 million and that it's worth 1.5 billion. Um, this is probably the context where Trump said, well, if it, you know, if I can't get that value, then I'll just go ask the Saudis to buy it. Cause I'm, you know, it's, remember, he did that. He, he sold property in Florida to yep. a Russian oligarch. That's right. To, to make a huge profit off of it. And so now it's the Saudis teed up to do it. But, um, what's, what's interesting about Eric's testimony, which I think really goes to the core of the lies that these men are telling is that he admitted, um, that no, that that you you couldn't do certain things with Mar-a-Lago. He admitted to knowing the things that they claimed not to know when they were trying to rile up the base right. on Twitter. So um, those those I think were some of the flashier lies that Eric was. I mean, they, they're they weren't lies told under oath. He told the truth under oath, but they revealed that he and Daddy and and his brother had been lying throughout. About why, you know, why Mar-a-Lago is valued like it is. Wow. Now, the prosecution is set to, they have Donald Trump again on Monday and Ivanka on Wednesday. That's the schedule as of now. And then they're going to rest. That's the, that's the end of their case. Um, do, is there going to be much of a defense, do you think? I don't know. I, I know that this is going to go on for a little while. So I I don't know what to expect from them well enough to, to right. see. But uh I guess we'll find out soon enough. So, yeah, I mean, I, you know, jump to a trial that I'm not actually covering, but that right. uh, is happening in Colorado. Um, there are people in states all over trying to get Trump disqualified from the ballot right. based on the 14th Amendment. Right. right. So he, there's he one in Minnesota to... that is has gone to the Minnesota Supreme Court. They seem the furthest along. But what's happening in Colorado? Colorado, they're actually holding a trial. So what's interesting is. Trump is calling people he seems to think are good witnesses for him. And they haven't gotten as much. I, I need to go back and review what they've said. But, for example, um, Tash Patel testified the other day. And, you know, it, it was nonsense. But Trump seemed to think. I, I mean, that's an interest. That Colorado is the first glimpse we get of how Trump will defend Georgia, how Trump will defend in D.C. And. It was sort of silly. So, you know, it, the, if, if you're relying on Cash Patel, then you're in deep strength. <laughs> of course. Um, all right. So that stuff is going on uh, parallel to these other legal cases against Trump. So the uh, New York fraud civil case is in process. Um, meantime, uh, Eileen Cannon, the judge in Florida for the uh, the stolen doc, the secret documents case. Um, she, again, a Trump appointee who has not been, um, shall we say, operating in a neutral stance or, or allegedly anyway. Um, she did something this week where basically she stalled the case and said, well, because of the other ongoing uh, cases, we're not going to bring this to trial until after the election. She hasn't ruled yet. So it's not clear how long she would delay and understand, like, so I have a theory about Eileen Cannon. She got her, am I allowed to swear? Yes. Okay, she got her ass handed to her by the 11th Circuit, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. She said last year uh, when she was intervening in the case improperly, 
among things she said was that um, she could force the government to give classified documents to Trump's lawyers. Um, she is at risk of doing something simple, similar here. Like, norm- <laughs> sorry, I have a, something in my throat. Normally, um, when uh, normally on classified documents cases, only somebody who used to be able to see, who had, who once had clearance to see the classified information gets access to it at trial. Otherwise, only their lawyers do. Okay. And DOJ has to give Walt Nauta and uh, Carlos de Oliveira's lawyers access to these uh, stolen documents because um, that's what they obstructed, mm-hmm. the return of those documents. But with de Oliveira in particular, he never had access to any documents. Walt Nauta probably did at the White House, you know. And so... Um, Cannon did something weird with what's called SEPA, the the way in which you deal with classified information at these trials. She did something weird there, too. She was like, oh, you're going to have to argue to withhold those documents with me individually. You can't just withhold them all under a gag order. Um, So she's she's my theory is that she is trying to. She is she does still have her thumb on the scale. But she's trying to do it in a way such that it makes it harder for DOJ to present evidence of, of reversible error. And just as an example, when DOJ first asked to have a conflicts hearing with, with, um, Stan Woodward, who is, uh, who's Walt Nauta's attorney. Right. Um, they submitted the filing and then they submitted a sealed filing. And after like maybe five days, Cannon said, oh, you didn't give me a good enough reason to submit that in sealed fashion, so I'm striking it. Well, we found out, or I found out, I'm the only one who's reported on it, but we found out like two months later that the stuff in there was stuff that was central to the argument. And so DOJ brought it back up on reply, and both Cannon and uh, and Woodward were like, oh my gosh, you're bringing up new information, you know, uh, two months in, and it's like, no. You all saw this information, and then Aileen Cannon removed it from the docket. She's doing something similar here. So um, for, I don't know, two months, Trump's team has been arguing that they need to delay the trial. And they've, they've said, we want to delay it till after the election. Mm-hmm. They they Some of their arguments here, they, they've now seen, at this point, now Trump and his attorneys have seen all the charged documents. Um, as of October 17th, his attorneys had, and Trump, I think, has, has at least been in the skiff to see them. So, so they, they now realize that if this goes to trial, you know, the prosecutor's going to get up there and say, this is what Trump did with the nuclear secrets. Right. We all know, in theory, what's there. Uh, Trump and his attorneys finally know what, in practice, he got busted keeping. Um, you know, Trump may have known and just not told his attorneys, but now Trump knows. Either way, and whether he knew or not, I don't know which is worse, you know, being now so they're facing right? now they're facing the prospect of trial. Um, and it's the kind of thing that could flip the election. You know, you get up there and you say uh, Trump left the nuclear secrets in the gaudy bathroom and the Saudi guests or that fake Rothschild Ukrainian right. rifled through it and took the nuclear secrets and gave them to organized criminals or something like that. Like yep. if that gets told at the election, maybe that'll tip enough Republicans to make a difference in some swing states. Anyway, 
So uh, Trump says we want to delay until after the election. And the prosecutors just keep responding to the claims that Trump makes. And over the course of it, they debunk everything. Right. One important claim that, I mean, one of them that I had figured out before they did the final debunking is that um, DOJ had said, okay, the nuclear secrets are ready when you're ready to go to the skiff to see them. We can't just drop nuclear secrets off at an unattended skiff for obvious reasons. Maybe Trump doesn't understand that, but we can't do it. Right. And so Trump and Trump's lawyers don't go to the skiff for 11 days. They just don't go. And then they go to Aileen Cannon and say, we didn't get this information until October 17th. And, and I was like, I'm pretty sure that it was available to you on October 6th. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, DOJ made it clear that uh, it was available on the 6th. They just didn't go. So the reason it wasn't in the skiff is because no one was in the skiff to read it. Like, if you get your ass to the skiff, then you're going to. So that was one That was one lie that they got busted in. Another one, I mean, there were a bunch. I did a post. I, I linked. I did. Um, but one that was really obnoxious was Chris Kais is like, I have no time to review these classified documents because I'm in this three-month trial in New York. And DOJ was like, yeah, here's where in the transcript before you, Alien Cannon, set the schedule, uh, we discussed that. Uh-huh. Like you can't, you, you factored that into the schedule you already have. So Chris Kais now saying, Oh my God, I'm in trial in New York doesn't fly. And then, you know, it was a bunch of stuff like that. And so Aileen Cannon really, really, really wants to delay the, the trial, but the record before her doesn't justify it. And I think that, um, hilariously or not, there was a hearing earlier this week where she was sort of like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to delay the trial. I just need to see how, how much I'm going to delay the trial. And, Within hours after that, Trump in D.C. files something that says, you know, we want you to hold this entire trial until you resolve our absolute immunity case. Mm-hmm. That's not going to happen before Judge Chicken. She's already, like, said, now here's the schedule. We're going to start jury selection on February 9th. Now, Chutkin, uh, isn't she the Georgia judge or she's the D.C. No, no, judge? No, no, she's, she's the, the D.C. D.C. judge. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, D- like she said yesterday, jury selection starts on February 9th. Wow. Clock is, you know, clock is ticking. Jury selection will start before I get the hardware out of my foot. Oh, no. Um, so... That's where we're. That's where we're getting. Before my daughter comes to visit, yeah, I put it. You know, right, we exactly. we all have Jury our selection. things. Um, but uh, but Aileen Cannon had had said, "Well, I'm going to delay this trial based on the based on the fact that um, the DC trial and this trial are backed up close to each other." And and in the hearing, prosecutors were like, "Yeah, but we can't guarantee that that trial is going to go forward either." And she was like, oh, no, no, that trial is solid, set in stone. And then, like, literally hours after she said, okay, I'll switch the trial, then Trump was working on switching the trial in D.C. And, and, um, yeah, it sounds like he, he, he pulled one on her, like she wasn't expecting that. DOJ submitted a filing saying, you know, you're being manipulated. And today, Cannon issued an order basically bitching at the prosecutors for again, proving her wrong and she bitched at them because their filing was 17 words over the limit in in the local jurisdiction and um you know she she again like i think she is trying to find a way to help trump in a way that won't be another big embarrassing reversible order but doj 
is finding the ways to create a record on these cases. Um, like, you know, uh, they are doing it over and over again. So I think like, uh, Cannon wanted to make it easy on the Stan Woodward on the conflicts hearing. And then DRJ said, you know, these are the ethical guidelines that anybody barred in Florida has to stand by. Mm-hmm. And then at that point, Aileen Cannon was sort of stuck, you know, so, so this is the kind of game that's going on is she would love to find a way to help Trump. But she doesn't want to get her ass handed to her again. And, and that's what's going on with the schedule. So we'll wow. see what happens. Okay, so that's still in play. Marcy Wheeler is with us. Uh, we do this on Fridays. <laughs> and there's never a lack of, of stuff to talk about. So um, the next case is the D.C. one. Now, where does Georgia fit in in this schedule? Georgia's not scheduled yet. There's There have been reports that up to seven of the remaining defendants, so four people have pled all with cooperation agreements. It's unclear how, how useful those cooperation agreements are going to be. I mean, some of them are going to be very useful right. and some are going to be less useful. But um, so four of 19 have have uh, entered plea agreements. Up to seven others are in possible discussions of it. So at first, Trump was like, let's delay, delay, delay. And now they're like, oh, my God, we better do speedy trial to prevent any anyone else from flipping before we get to go to trials. So, um uh, so that's, we don't know when that's going to go. There was a hearing today from one of the Ruby Freeman people. Uh, I didn't watch it, but he's trying to get some subpoenas to, uh, basically to, 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 he's trying to substantiate getting, you know, questioning the election. He's right. trying to like, he's, he's, yeah, he's trying to meddle. Um, so that's that. So is this a Ruby Freeman Shea Moss um, uh, defamation suit, or is this connected to no, no, no this is Georgia. a criminal case in Georgia, okay. right? So there still connected three, to Georgia. There are three sub-conspiracies charged in Georgia. One is Coffee County, when Sidney Powell and a bunch of other people went and got some Dominion <laughs> voting data. All right. Um, the other is the fake electors plot. Right. Uh, and that's set up so that the three main fake electors are all charged with basically forging documents in Georgia and Trump and some lawyers and Rudy are charged with eliciting the forging of those documents. So um, and then the third is the Ruby Freeman thing. Like they tried to force Ruby Freeman to claim that um, she had engaged in fraud when she hadn't. So um now, but there's two yeah. questions about uh, some who flipped and questions about one who, uh, I guess the one who we don't know, Mark Meadows, I guess, cut a deal, but we don't know what that entails. He didn't, right? What, what no, happened I mean, with I that? really recommend people not get ahead of themselves on Mark Meadows. Right. Mark Meadows is very well lawyered and unlike Donald Trump and unlike a lot of other people, he is being a good client. Okay. Um, and not, so not his- talking. Yeah, his his attorney, guy by the name of George Terwilliger, used to be um, the U.S. attorney for EDVA for for basically Northern Virginia, okay. um, and had some senior roles in DOJ. Uh, his attorney got Alberto Gonzalez off of any kind of legal exposure for bringing home super secret documents on torture and illegal wiretapping that he stored in his home closet. So he's a very good lawyer. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, he's a very good white collar lawyer and Mark Meadows has done what he told him. And best as I can tell, um, Terwilliger has, 
has led Meadows up to the line of where he needs to tell the truth without going over that line. So in other words, what everyone talks about is that he was compelled to give testimony in a grand jury appearance in March. All of the descriptions of that testimony we've seen so far, and ABC and New York Times have had the most reporting on this, um, although there, I mean, there's, there's a bunch out there too. I mean, I think Guardian has a good report mm-hmm. of it as well. All of the, all of the reports of his grand jury testimony relate exclusively to his book. So for right. example, okay. remember that, um, one of the charges or one of the allegations, actually one of the charges now in Florida is that he, Trump showed a, a plan to attack Iran to Mark Meadows's biographer, ghostwriter. right? Ghostwriter. Yep. Right. Um, and, Mark Meadows was compelled to testify before the grand jury. The first time he was asked about it, he said, no, I don't think my ghostwriters are right about Trump doing that. And then the second time before the grand jury, he said, you know, I'm convinced now that they were telling the truth. And so that's an example where he was telling a story at first that would help Trump. And then when forced, he got closer to the truth. Right. But it's still not somebody who's terrifically cooperative. Right. He didn't enter into a plea deal. Yeah, despite no, the reports, right. like there's absolutely no basis to believe he entered into a plea deal. And there's there is good basis. So what happened was uh Terwilliger got Mark Meadows through the D.C. exposure on both the stolen documents case and the January 6th case. And he's sort of out there. Right. Like so he's floating out there with grand jury testimony about probably limited amount of stuff. OK, like mm-hmm. there's no allegation that he was asked in a grand jury with compelled immunity, um, who he talked to on January 6th, for example. No one, there's no evidence that he was asked what he said to Jim Jordan on January 6th. Right. Now that's important because if you look at the Georgia indictment, there is an allegation that he was, he went to Georgia, snooped around their counting. Right. And then per the DC indictment, he went back to DC and said, oh, everything is going right. Okay, that's totally inconsistent with everything else we know about both his actions in Georgia and his actions in D.C. But it is, we presume, uh, testimony that um, Jack Smith got locked in to the grand jury in D.C. So Mm -hmm. in other words, he told a story that made himself look good. And uh, and that's where, again, it's floating out here in D.C. right right now. Okay, my my. And and if you look at it from Jack Smith's perspective, if 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 Mark Meadows gets on a stand in next uh, April, say, and says, I told Trump that Georgia, there was nothing wrong with the Georgia election, whether or not it's true, it doesn't hurt Jack Smith's case. It means right. that one of Trump's top advisors told him everything is cool in Georgia. Mm-hmm. Or if Mark Meadows is caught in a lie about that, because I don't. You know, I, it doesn't, it's, it, let's just say it is utterly inconsistent with everything else that we have provable documentation from. If Mark Meadows is one day caught in a lie about that, then you have reason to actually flip Mark Meadows. You have right. reason to say, Mark Meadows, we caught you in a lie. Would you like to cooperate against Donald Trump or would you like to go to jail? Right. Now, uh, the Georgia indictment changed that because Mark Meadows is individually charged in Georgia and uh, Terwilliger, again, the very good lawyer, is trying, tried to get it removed to federal court 
and then dismissed because it was all part of his official business. Right. Um, thus far, Georgia has won the argument there, but it's it's going to the 11th Circuit in December, if I recall correctly. And then after that, it'll go to the Supreme Court. And so we'll see what Clarence Thomas has to say. Oh, yeah, yeah. oh God. Um, so uh, there, there's one other. So uh, a few, as we talked earlier, uh, have made plea deals. The first couple that were supposed to go to trial, uh, Cheeseboro and the Kraken lady, Sidney Powell, Cheese and Krakens, both, uh, both entered into plea deals. Uh, but Sidney Powell then made some remarks that she was extorted in order to do this. Did, did you hear about that? Yeah. And I don't know what has happened since then. I mean, it's exactly what she did with Mike Flynn, right? Mm-hmm. He made a plea deal and then claimed that he had been extorted. Um, Mike Flynn, by the way, has a lawsuit against DOJ in Florida, but you don't live there anymore. <laughs> no, I don't. Um, but, uh, um, you know, it's what she did with Mike Flynn, but at that point she had somebody to pardon her. So I don't know what's going on with Sydney Powell. I'm not going to lose sleep over it. No. Um, she may just be trying to testify against the Coffee County people and not Trump or not, uh, bigger things having to do with Trump. And again, here's the thing, right? And Jenna Ellis, by the way, is probably more interesting for the DC case than Sidney Powell. But, okay. um, and I, I've made this argument. Sidney Powell is in the DC indictment in one paragraph. And that paragraph describes how, when she was still explicitly part of Trump's team, um, Trump threw Molly, um, uh, threw Molly Michael through his executive assistant at the White House, said, you know, Trump wants these Dominion claims in every lawsuit. And so this is mid-November 2020. Okay. And Sidney Powell responds to that saying, it has to go in every lawsuit. And she did that. She did every single lawsuit from then until, you know, whenever she was scolded for it all, put Dominion in every single lawsuit. What's interesting about it is when she allegedly flipped, whether she did or not, Trump tweeted on True Social and said, you know, Sidney Powell was never my attorney, couldn't have been, there was a conflict. And he raised Mike Flynn. Oh, God. And this is interesting because, it, it, you know, of course she was representing Mike Flynn. But what's interesting is Sidney Powell and Mike Flynn were in to Motley or whatever that plantation by one of those crazy conspiracy theorists. I, I lose track. They're all white. Mm-hmm. Of course. In South Carolina. So they're on this plantation in South Carolina beginning this whole, um, this whole campaign to declare, you know, vote fraud or whatever. Sydney Powell and Mike Flynn together. And that's when the first lawsuit gets filed naming Dominion, which is in Georgia, by the way. Uh-huh. And that happens on the same day that Flynn gets pardoned. Huh. So, I, you know, like, there's abundant evidence that Trump engaged in quid pro quos with a couple of his, uh, couple of his pardons. Um, and I've, and I've always, like, from day one, I was like, this is weird. Like, I sort of, I said, in real time, I said, is Sidney Powell and are Sidney Powell and Donald Trump and Rudy Giuliani claiming that she's not his attorney? Because if she were, it would create a conflict for this pardon that Donald Trump just gave to her client. And I think there's more to that now that, uh, that this has come about because the timing laid out in the indictment, this, the very same day she does something for Trump is the day that he pardons her client. Mm-hmm. 
Interesting. So, you know, I, again, I would see like Sydney Powell maybe trying to cooperate in Georgia only on the Coffee County stuff where she was like, and again, the, like these two lawsuits, these two, sorry, criminal cases are really interesting the way they work together. Sydney Powell was one of the people most exposed in Georgia because she was charged with hacking. Mm-hmm. And it was a credible charge of hacking. Like, uh, Michigan is making the same argument. If you unlawfully go get voting machine data, that's a crime. You do not have lawful ac- access to that voting machine data. Um, it doesn't matter whether you, you know, hacked a password to get in. Uh-huh. If you unlawfully got the data, it's a crime. Right. And so she was charged with that in Georgia. And so it wasn't just the, uh, the Rico conspiracy that everyone else was charged with. And, for a lot of reasons, like thus far in D.C., she's not charged that badly. And so I was sort of like, you know, it's the way in which these two things go together. Mark Meadows not charged in D.C. And so he's floating out there, right? Like right. Williger. Now, wasn't D.C., didn't D.C. only charge Trump and then the rest yeah. are unindicted co-conspirators? Yep. Yeah. Uh, and so everyone who's unindicted co-conspirators might think that they would get charged. But honestly, the other thing about Sidney Powell, unlike Rudy, is that um, everyone was underbussing Sidney Powell already. Everyone mm-hmm. was saying Sidney Powell is responsible for all our bad data. And uh, and Trump is, if Trump wins, like Trump's plan is to delay everything in so until such time as either it won't affect the primary, it'll be too late for Republicans to replace him, mm-hmm. uh, or, you know, better, until after the election, um, his plan is to uh, win the election through whatever means necessary, and uh, and his his freedom as he sees it, it depends on whether or not he wins. So right. he'll do he'll do anything to win this election, and he, I'm sure he doesn't care about breaking the law because he's going to jail if he doesn't win the election. Right? So right. there's no downside for him. But the thing is, you know, it doesn't make sense for Jack Smith to charge everyone else. Until after the election. Right. No, he's um, got to get Trump and, and it, it, it simplifies it if he's the only indicted. It's just a case against him. So you're not dealing with other players, um, try and their lawyers and their cases. That's more streamlined. Um, right. Okay. So you talked about Trump will do anything to win this election. Maybe this is a good time to segue into what's happening in the House of Representatives where we've got this white Christian nationalist nut job. Um, as Speaker of the House, how will he impact or could he impact the election results? Yeah, um, you know, how will he impact the election results? We'll see, right? Uh, if there are ways to throw things to the House, um, there are ways to, but, but, you know, some of those, they did, change the means to interfere in January 6th. There are other times you can interfere in elections and Trump is going to do that in those times. But the other way to consider it and the way I would encourage people who uh, don't want Donald Trump to be president is um, having Mike Johnson as Speaker of the House is a very good way to nationalize races or even to to uh, nationalize races um, in red districts of swing states. Mm -hmm. So in other words, like uh, if you live in a 60, 40 district in a state like Pennsylvania, maybe 
um, you still want to come out and defeat every Republican because your access to abortion depends on it. That's right. And it's that simple. If, you know, it really is that simple. If, if Mike Johnson is still speaker and Trump comes in, or if Mike Johnson is speaker for longer than, you know, two years yeah. or whatever, um, he will try and ban abortion nationally. Mm-hmm. He will. I mean, yes. That's what, that's what his life work is. And it's that's not right. just abortion he'll go after. He'll go after gay marriage. That's right. He'll certainly go after trans rights, but Republicans are already going after trans rights. He'll go out. I mean, you know, like he doesn't even like no fault divorce. He yeah. doesn't believe in no fault divorce. So he'll go after all of that if he's given too much time. And so I think that, um, and I think some of the things that his whack job constituents are going to force him to do are going to nationalize things in different ways, you know? So now one other thing that you have consistently called out is bad reporting. And there are some journalists out there who are doing a good job. You mentioned Adam Classfield, who's, who's reporting on the New York case and stuff, but you're also calling out the New York times and some reporters at the Washington post for what are they doing? Trying to cover their bases in case Trump gets back in. So they don't lose access. Yeah, I mean, I think that a lot of them don't yet understand that fascism is on on the menu, mm-hmm. right? Like, mm-hmm. I, I think that um, mainstream mainstream editors are not yet willing to use the term fascist in a way they weren't willing to use the term torture under Bush. Um, I also think that a lot of them do. I mean, there's a there's a variety of bad reporting, right? Like, there there's reporting that that for the legal cases, like the garbage that Chris Keis is pulling, people are willing to call Chris I, Chris Keis out for throwing tantrums in a courtroom. But there's far less calling out Chris Keis for basically telling bullshit in court filings. Mm-hmm. Um, like I did in the D.C. case. This is not Chris Keis. This is John Laura. But in the D.C. case, the, the bait, I mean, Trump, in his appeal is asking is is making an argument that he didn't argue below. So first of all, he's not allowed to do that. But you know, Clarence Thomas may not care. Right. But he's also basically his his argument is partly you can't gag me because I have a hundred million followers and they all have a right a first amendment right to listen to a me. right to like, hear well, my lies. <laughs> yeah, uh, but but a good number of those hundred million people are bots. Like he uses his Twitter numbers. To generate, so I'm like, you know, Trump's imaginary friends, many right. of them paid for it by Evgeny Prigozhin. But, um, uh, you know, so that's one thing is, is it takes a lot of work. I mean, this is what I do and other people spend a lot more time talking to, um, defense attorneys and, and you need both. I'm not yes. saying that I am all you do, but, and there are, you know, like, um, Roger Parloff from, uh, Lawfare, everyone at Lawfare does really good yes. work on the court filings. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you already mentioned Adam Klausfeld. There are people who do good work on court filings, but in general, um, many of the people covering the Trump cases, especially, are not legal reporters. They are political reporters, and mm-hmm. so they're not going to read the documents, and they're not going to read the documents very closely because there are a shit ton of them. And so, um, so uh, you know, there was a Washington Post article that said, "Oh, here's what's going on in in in, in Florida." I'm like, "No, what's going on in Florida is, you know, is Aileen Cannon." going to buy transparent lies. Right. And it's your job to note that they're transparent lies. Uh, cause otherwise Aileen Cannon gets away with being corrupt. Um, 
And so that's, you know, but, but the other thing that just drives me batty, this is, you know, I admit I spent most of my day screaming at, at clouds on the internet. Yes. Um, you know, it is so easy for congressional beat reporters. They are trained to tell both sides of the story. Mm-hmm. And so all you have to do, if you're a far right abortion banning Christian nationalist is to say, here's my story. And then, you know, uh, congressional reporters, their job is to say, here's what Mike Johnson says, and here's what Jamie Raskin says, or here's what James Comer says, and here's what Jamie Raskin says. If you've been following J- Jamie Comer's investigation in Tender Biden's stick picks, then you know that Jamie Comer gets caught in lies like every other week at, at a minimum. Just mm-hmm. blatant, ridiculous, stupid lies, and Jamie Raskin very, you know, like, very like he's got catalogs of them at this point. Yes. You know, Jimmy Raskin, thank God he's where he is right now because he's very good at his job. Well, it's not this, the congressional reporters aren't trained to say, all right, the story now is that Jamie Comer keeps lying. Right. If Jamie Comer has lied to you a hundred times, the story has to become Jamie Comer is a big fat liar. Right. Or just stupid. Right. You know, it was, right. Uh, and this becomes really important because everyone knows that the that the the only thing Republicans have done with the um, eleven months, the ten months that they've had the majority, is sniff Hunter Biden's dick pics. Yes. And, and I'm only slightly exaggerating. I am exaggerating, but not by much. I mean, they 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 still haven't funded government. There are two weeks left to fund yep. government. Less than that. So um, threatening a shutdown again but, in but case the that's whole not time clear. Right. that they haven't funded government. That the 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 five weeks that they were not doing anything because they were picking us, you know, either Kevin McCarthy or or then Mike Johnson, um, they were still sniffing Hunter Biden's dick pics. Right, and it is outrageous. Should be outrageous that you know, uh, for the for the three four weeks that they were they couldn't they did they couldn't find anyone to to elect speaker still sniffing Hunter Biden's dick pics still sniffing Hunter Biden's dick pics and so. Um, Kevin McCarthy and Mike Johnson, the only thing they're good at is, is, is getting reporters to take impeachment seriously by turning it into process question. So journalists are very excited. Oh, I was the first person to report that they're close to a decision on impeachment. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? Right. Like, this is not a story. Like, the question of whether they're going to move to impeach Joe Biden was never a story. And if you think it was, you need to get a day job that, re- you know, doesn't require you to be somewhat a critical thinker. But right. but the other thing is these people can't fund government. These people cannot keep the government open and you're not holding them accountable for the fact that all they have done is invent conspiracy theories right. about Hunter Biden dick pics. Yes. That's literally all the Republican caucus has done this year. That's it. Right. I mean, okay, not literally, I'm exaggerating. No, but I hear what you're saying. <clears throat> you know, somebody, <clears throat> excuse me, um, I read a comment somewhere of uh, somebody posting on one of the social media sites about all the stuff's going on and then ended it with, but Hunter Biden. You know, it's but her emails. It's the same thing. It's their diversion. There's no there there, but that's where they keep going. Um, right. Hunter Biden, by the way, in USA Today did a um, did not bed yesterday. And he said, you know, I am a recovering addict. And what concerns me about the relentless attack Republicans on me is the denigration of Recovery, yeah. the denigration of going the hard, you know, doing the hard work uh, to get through recovery is going to make other people not want to 
make take the hard work to go through recovery. Sure, I, I encourage people to read it, but I but he's also got links in there, which. Um, you know, I was aware of these links, but they're all in one place. So, for example, there's an Axios report that that compares how much coverage Hunter Biden has gotten or Hunter Biden's dick pics have gotten on Fox and New York Post compared to Ron DeSantis. So the reason Ron, I mean, I said this, I think, last week, the reason Ron DeSantis could never get traction against Donald Trump is because Mur- Rupert Murdoch's properties, like literally every day, numerous times a day have to report on Hunter Biden's dick pics. And it's, it's, it is impossible for those of us who don't, who don't, uh, consume Rupert Murdoch news to understand, you know, it's propaganda. It's repeated multiple times every day to understand it's, it's far worse and far more systematic than butthurt emails. Um, although, you know, they are at least Hillary Clinton was the candidate. Hunter Biden's not the candidate. No. Um, right. But that's where we're at, is that, you know, the 35% of the country that consumes Murdoch news consistently believes, as an article of faith, that not just Hunter Biden's dick pics, but Joe Biden are corrupt. And there's no basis to it whatsoever, but they believe it because propaganda works. It, and it does. And by the way, it works even in the face of uh, a guilty verdict and a defamation uh, defamation lawsuit uh, against Fox and Rupert Murdoch properties for lying, for defaming uh, Dominion. And I guess the uh, uh, Smartmatic case is still to come. But they were fined a record amount of money for lying. For, they're they're proven to be liars and propagandists, and it doesn't matter if they say it on oh. Fox that so much of the uh, uh, public believes them. And I want to raise one more detail that is relevant to that. So Mike Johnson, the Christian nationalist who wants to end abortion yeah. um, speaker, he hired Raj Shah, former Trump White House press person, who then became a top executive at Fox News, who we know from the Dominion lawsuit, uh, attacked, I want to say it was Jackie Heinrich, attacked one of the very few Fox reporters who was debunking false claims on the election. I think right, I remember Heinrich. that it was. Um, yep. and, and he sent texts or something internally and said, this is killing us. We can't have journalists tell the truth. Because he was really worried <laughs> about losing market share to, to Newsmax. And oh. so that guy... Raj Shah is now the communications director for the right wing Christian nationalist who oh wants to God. end abortion, who's the Speaker of the House. Of course he is. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Marcy Wheeler, again, we could keep going because I still have a long list of things to touch on. But the clock says we've been doing this for an hour. So <laughs> we're we're constrained by the clock, but we'll pick it up again next week at which time we will deal with uh, Donald and Ivanka Trump's testimony such as it may be oh i wish this was televised oh yeah yep um and it right smack in the middle it's my birthday tomorrow so this is all happening on my birthday week so aren't i lucky (laughs) (laughs) well happy birthday well thank you now i'm i'm busy navigating the maze of the affordable care act marketplace um and what i've discovered is because i turn 64 tomorrow they they would rather you die. They make it it's so impossible to find a policy that, despite the name Affordable Care Act, is affordable and um, will actually let you get medical care. 
So it's, it's putting me in a wonderful mood. Well, in Ireland, I got the bill or not the bill. I got the notice from my health insurance, how much they paid for my three day hospital stay, including surgery under general anesthesia. And it was less than 3000 euros and I didn't pay a cent out of pocket. So now it's not a perfect system over there. It wasn't like Limerick's hospital where I live is notorious in Ireland for, um, like, they, they don't have the space they need for all the, all the um, patients who use it. So it's not, you know, there are real downsides to the hospital here in Ireland. But, like, I walked out that door of getting surgery in, in Ireland, and I had sort of told them kind of who my health insurer was, right? I have additional health insurance on top of, like, the, the public health insurance. Right, like a supplemental. Um, okay. It's sort of, that's sort of how it works, here, right? Like, so walk out the door. And then they call me. It wasn't even the same day. I think it was a couple of days. And they're like, you know, uh, can you give us your insurance policy number? Because we don't have that. <laughs> and they let me walk out the door. I mean, can you imagine that no. happening in the United States? Walk out the door. I haven't given them the policy number. And um, and sure enough, I never, like, they never, I, I never, I didn't, like, I don't have to check out when I leave the hospital. I just walk out. Like, I'm, oh, I'm done with the doctor. Okay, I'm done. Bye. You know. And you went today, the, the cast, the pink cast is gone. Now you have a boot. It's like yeah, I have a, a shibuti. Half, yeah, I'm not allowed to put all my weight on it. Fifty percent weight, and it's still it's going to take a long time. But uh, I, and, and that surgery here, hmm? that surgery here, in the, just so you know, every policy that I can get um, after deductible. I'm responsible for 40 or 50% copay for hospital stays and doctors in the hospital. So what your, uh, what was paid to these doctors under 3000 euros there, um, would probably, you know, put me in the poorhouse for the rest of my life. Right. I mean, I had surgery in Utah and I want to say 1994, um, and it was like maybe an overnight stay, maybe two nights, but it was it was at least one day shorter, 1994. Mm-hmm. And I paid basically the same thing I paid for this, same kind of like, you know, invasive fiddling with my right leg surgery. But um, and and that was however many we're getting old, but that was a long time ago. Yeah. But you know what? Um, seven years ago, I was hospitalized for a lung cancer where I had the robotic surgery and I asked for the itemized bill. I don't remember the numbers, but it was obscene. It was obscene. Oh, yeah. Every yeah. little thing they charge you for a, an Advil, you know, Oh, I know. 50 like, bucks. Again, not this trip, but the last time I was in the doctor's office, um, one of my crutches had the, the kind of rubber thing on the bottom had gotten, had kind of splayed. And so I showed it to the doctor and he's like, Oh, hold on a second. He goes in, gets two brand new crutches and go ahead. And there, again, there was no accountability. No one was get, scanning them to, to say, well, you know, she, she just walked out with new crutches. I got the new boot. No, no one like the no scan, huh? Oh, because that was the thing at the hospital. Every single thing was scanned before. It was, it was scanned. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, uh, there's nothing perfect, but I'll take your system over ours any day. <laughs> this well, isn't there fun. are downsides to both. Yes, that that is very true. And our friend got a laugh, you know, is moving to Canada, and apparently it's a whole thing to get a primary care doctor. So, um, store uh, an episode of the Mal Ladies for another day. Uh, Absolutely. Marcy Wheeler, find her at emptywheel.net. It should be one of your first stops every morning when you're getting your news because you get stuff there that you don't get elsewhere. And here on Fridays, thank you. As always, feel better.
Take care of that. Foot. Happy birthday. Thank you so much. And with that, we are done uh, with another day, another week. Sorry, I'm not turning on the camera. Um, we've run over as we tend to do. Um, thanks to Marcy Wheeler. Thanks to you for hanging this week. Uh, we'll do it all over again Monday with Donald Trump on the stand. Yeehaw. All right. Um, peace out. See you Monday. Bye. <laughs>